the Japanese understand that Americans are just weird. <laughs> and, uh, and Jared and I can say that since we're American. Yeah, I can't, <laughs> I've been trying to say it and I keep getting told, don't say that. You're listening to the USSC Briefing Room, a podcast from the United States Study Center at the University of Sydney, where we give you a seat at the table for a USSC briefing on the latest developments in US news and foreign policy. We'll cover what you need to know and what's beneath the surface of the news. Hello, I'm Mari Kirk, Director of Engagement and Impact at the USSC. Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land we're recording on today. The University of Sydney is located on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, and I pay my respects to their elders past, present, and future. Today on the USSC Briefing Room, I'm joined by my co-hosts, Director of Research Jared Monshine and Research Editor Victoria Cooper. They have just launched their latest polling report one year from the 2024 U.S. presidential election, the stakes for Australia and the alliance, which surveyed respondents in Australia, the United States, and Japan. It covers all the issues most relevant to the Australia-U.S. alliance and regional relationships at this time. Are attitudes towards China heating up or cooling down? Where is public opinion on AUKUS at the moment? And if Donald Trump wins the presidency in 2024, what does that mean for the Australia-U.S. alliance? We're going to dive into all of this and more, and at the end of the episode, we'll have our By the Numbers segment. Given we're discussing your polling port today, was it a struggle to find a stat that you could share with us? It was, but I persevered. Okay. <laughs> he didn't just persevere. He picked two and then had to give one to me. So. <laughs> <laughs> He's so magnanimous. All right. Well, I'm really keen to dive into the polling uh, itself. Maybe, Jared, could you just set the scene for us a little bit? What is unique about USSC polling and the polling this year in particular? And why are you conducting this sort of polling at all? Yeah, thanks, Mari. And we've been doing polling at the US Study Center for since its inception in many ways. But in the past couple of years, we've um, changed it up a bit. And one thing that that we really have tried to do in recent years, in the last two polls in particular, is really ask sort of uh, embrace the the solution to, for the alliance uh, change in our motto at this study center and ask solutions oriented um, questions. So before we may ask, do you approve or disapprove of, of you know, this country? But now we really want to um, try in our polling to sort of test um, sort of more tangible, specific solutions and, and just get the public's opinion on on more detailed aspects of strategic competition. Ultimately, this year, and more than any other year at the Study Center, we asked um, in different ways what Australians, Americans, and Japanese respondents thought of strategic competition. Um, and not only what they think of it, but what they think will happen, as well as what they want to have happen with strategic competition. And it's really something that um, that we haven't asked um, in, in this way before. So this, this year's uh, polling was really exciting for us. Great. And of course, when we talk about strategic competition, we're also talking very much about the role of China in the region. Uh, Victoria, I'm keen to hear from you because each year you've been asking questions around attitudes towards China. So what was your headline finding on China for 2023? Yeah, thanks, Mari. Um, we have been asking pretty consistently on China and the answer has been fairly consistently the same in that negative views of Beijing are persisting across the three countries. So especially when we asked this question last year, um, 
you know, do you see China as being more helpful or harmful in Asia? The majority of respondents in Australia, Japan and the United States said that China was mostly harmful. And we see that result again this year, um, around half or more than half of the participants in each of the three countries say that China is more harmful than helpful in Asia. But as Jared was saying, we also um, asked about strategic competition. So um, whether the United States or China will end up being the most militarily or economically influential in Asia in 25 years. And we didn't just ask um, what they thought of that. We didn't just ask for their assessment of the situation, but we also asked them to evaluate whether or not they think it would be a good thing for their country for either, um, well, we gave them four options, um, for China to become the most economically and militarily influential, for the United States to become the most economically and militarily influential, uh, for the Chinese Communist Party to collapse or for America to make concessions and allow for the rise of China. So um, of those options, um, it's perhaps unsurprising that uh, Australians, Americans and Japanese said that it was um, probably most likely for China to become the most economically, militarily and influential country in Asia. And Australia actually stands out uh, in terms of that. So if you are looking at our report, it's figure three. Uh, you can see that Australian respondents um, something like 63% said that it is either very likely or likely that China becomes the most economically and militarily influential. And that number is much lower for the United States across the board. Um, but we can see that kind of negative attitude towards China uh, in the number of respondents who said that the collapse of the Chinese Communist Party would be a good thing for their country. So 61% of Australians, 60% of Americans and 52% of Japanese respondents, that's figure five in our report, uh, say that the collapse of the Chinese Communist Party would be good for their country. So you can see that negative perspective of China, and that's consistent from 2022 findings as well, as evident in our polling this year. Um, but our headline finding isn't just that this negativity persists. I think we all know that. What is more striking for us was we asked, um, what's the likelihood your country will be in armed conflict with China? And all these things considered, we saw a 9% drop in um, 2020 three from 2022 figures in Australians saying that war with China would be very likely in the next 10 years. And we saw a 7% increase in those saying that war with China would be very unlikely. So why do you think that was the case? That's a pretty striking remark that's, or, you know, remarkable change that's outside of the margin of error for the poll. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, there's possibly a number of factors that go into this. Something else that we polled was um, Australians' approval of their country's handling of China. And we saw that 30% of Australians approve of their government's handling of China, which is, uh, you know, about a third. But compared to the United States, where only 20% approve and Japan, where only 19% approve, uh, Australia kind of stands out in their country's approval of China. But uh, one of the conclusions that we draw is that perhaps deterrence is working, that um, Australians, you know, 2023, we saw the Defence Strategic Review, we saw the biggest investment in Australia's military since the Second World War. Um, with all of these things, the idea that Australians are starting to think that war with China is less likely, um, that could be a sign that those measures in place that are improving Australia's defences, that are strengthening alliance cooperation in the region, that those things are working in terms of deterring future conflict. And I think AUKUS is a big part of that and I'd, I'd want to bring Jared in to talk a bit more about that. But we can also see, you know, Albanese is about to go to China and I think that's a sign of um, the Albanese government's movement uh, we've seen tariffs uh, tariffs that China placed on Australia removed. So there's been certain steps showing a cooling in that relationship. Um, so I think there's a number of other factors that could play into that. Jared, I don't know if you want to. Yeah, I think on the whole, things are, you know, you could say there's some stabilization between Australia and China. Um, and 
more positive news than not between the the two countries over the last uh, six months to a year. But that doesn't mean that um, China has been um, embracing Australia's uh, pathway on AUKUS with open arms. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's there's all sorts of efforts that that Beijing has made over the last few years, uh, really trying to um, unwind U.S., Australian, and, and Japanese um, sort of collective attitudes, not just on China, but just on collective security efforts on the Quad. Um, and so the fact that despite all of Beijing's rhetoric, um, less few or fewer Australians this year think war is likely than last year, I think is telling that, um, as, as Victoria said, that deterrence is working and that, um, Australians seem to trust, uh, their government is, is taking the relationship with China in the right direction. Yeah. Well, obviously, you know, everything that's happening with AUKUS is very closely linked. Uh, and you took a look at AUKUS again in the poll this year and the polling shows that more Australians support AUKUS than not but it's not a majority. It's still a plurality. So how strong would you say that Australian support for AUKUS is? Yeah, we we found 43% of Australians say that AUKUS makes the region safer. We also found that um, just about half say that's a good idea for Australia to to have nuclear-powered submarines. But I think when you say plurality and you say those numbers that are less than 50%, when you can't say a majority are in favor, then you might wonder, oh, maybe there's a lot of people against it. And that's just not the case. I think the the issue to flag here is the amount of people who say neither agree nor disagree or don't know. Um, and the even the more important thing to flag than that is those who actually disagree or strongly disagree on the, the number of Australians who say that the AUKUS partnership makes Australia uh, unsafe, or those who disagree with saying that it makes it safer, it's 14% in Australia. And then you can even break that down by partisanship because you could say, oh, maybe if looking at the labor conference that that, um, AUKUS is not popular, um, and it's actually 13%. And we found um, the the coalition smaller than that. And so if you're wondering how the the all respondents got to 14 if labor's at 13 is that we didn't that's the the green and and other parties uh actually are are pretty uh against uh AUKUS more than labor and coalition the other thing to flag though is those who say that um it's a bad idea for australia to have nuclear powered submarines and that's 19 percent of mm-hmm. australians um and on labor it's 23 percent. so again it's it's not really as as loud as you would think reading the headlines. But again, it's important to note the amount of Australians who say don't know or um, neither agree nor disagree. 22% say they neither agree nor disagree about uh, AUKUS making Asia safer in Australia. 20% say they don't know. And then on whether it's a good idea for Australia to have nuclear powered submarines, 20% say neither agree nor disagree. And 12% say don't know. So just because there's not a majority there doesn't mean that the the plurality of Australians and of actually support AUKUS and actually, and the, those who are actively against it, it's, it's a pretty small minority. Yeah. I should flag though, that it's not just that there's a like carte blanche for the Australian government on this, because we also asked, is AUKUS good uh, for creating jobs? Is AUKUS just not worth the cost? And does AUKUS lock Australia into supporting um, the United States in an armed conflict? And again, it's interesting to note that despite that support for AUKUS, we found that um, a lot of Australians 
we had a total of uh, 42% of Australians saying that AUKUS is not worth the cost. And then uh, we had a total of 47% of Australians saying that it locks Australia into uh, an armed conflict. There's clearly some skepticism about AUKUS. And maybe they, they think it's a good idea, but maybe it's not what the, it, it, the, the price tag is too high, or maybe they think that there should be other types of technology ins, instead of nuclear powered submarines. But there is, again, uh, some positive attitude towards AUKUS that includes that it's good for jobs when you have uh, 46% saying it's, it's good for jobs. And I should note, again, the percentage of those saying neither agree nor disagree and don't know. Um, in, in all of these, if you combined neither agree nor disagree um, in, in the questions of creating jobs, uh, not being worth the cost and supporting the U.S. in armed conflict, the combination of those don't know and disagree or and uh, are not sure is actually the majority in, in many instances, if not the, the largest plurality. OK. And so how does this compare to what we saw um, from the American and Japanese respondents? Yeah. So that question of neither agree nor disagree and don't know, it's uh, or, or the, the amount of American and Japanese response who said that is significantly larger. I don't think AUKUS is leading the headlines in Japan. We had some 38% of Japanese respondents saying they didn't know. <laughs> they just don't know about uh, uh, whether it makes Asia safer. A 23% said neither agree nor disagree. And in the U.S., 32% said they don't know whether it makes um, Asia safer, and 25% said um, that they neither agree nor disagree. But again, the the one thing that I flag is those who oppose it are it's less than 10% in America, less than it's six percent in Japan, and again it's 14% in Australia. So there really is not a strong opposition to AUKUS, despite all the talking points saying that it is destabilizing or that it, it makes, it's an arms buildup. It, there, there is um, not a huge amount of salience in the US and Japan, um, but there is more support than not. Okay. And I guess the center has done a lot of work around finding pathways forward for AUKUS, how to actualize it through, you know, legal regulatory changes. But from a public perception point of view, what work needs to be done from here on AUKUS and what would be the top priority in your opinion? Well, as the director of research, I do have to toot our own horn and talk about the work that we've been doing at the study center and, and how we led on a lot of the analysis on AUKUS. Um, but I think it should not just come to think tanks to be doing that. I think uh, there is a role for government to be leading on this, uh, all three governments to be leading on on AUKUS and to really be explaining to the public, especially here, what our, our uh, colleagues here call social license, trying get, getting the Australian people on board for such a massive investment. This is no small project. It is not just an expensive one, it is an incredibly complex one with many stakeholders. And I think the public needs to be brought along uh, for the journey of such an investment. Mm, yeah. And I want to shift a little bit to think about the more pointy end of uh, both alliances and conflicts in the region. I know that the headline finding from last year uh, was that there was a 14% jump in Americans who say their alliance with Australia makes Americans safer. But how does this translate into issues that test the alliance? Um, and where are we on those um, Taiwan contingency questions that we asked last year and again this year? 
Uh, so most Americans continue to believe that their alliances with Australia, NATO and Japan make them more secure, although they are smaller majorities than what we saw in 2022. So the percentage of Americans that say their alliance with Australia makes them more secure declined by five percentage points to 53%, while American views on the alliance with NATO declined eight percentage points to 54%. And uh, views of alliances with Japan decreased by 13 percentage points to 52%. So, yeah, we are seeing a general trend of decline this year. But as far as I'm concerned, I think that that's probably um, a cooling off of the huge uh, swell of support that we saw last year, obviously, with the the context for um the Russian invasion of Ukraine, we did see a large spike, especially in that NATO figure in support for alliances. But as I said, yeah, all majorities, um, the majority opinion is that those alliances do make America more secure. Yeah. And I'll just add that the, that's the American view, the the Australian view that is important, I think for Canberra in particular to note is um, there was a a significant um, amount of Australians on nearly two thirds of last year who said that their alliance with the U.S. makes their country more secure, but that actually decreased from 63% last year to 54% um, this that's year. That's a very significant change. That's right. That's, yeah. that's nine, nine percentage points. And that's still a majority um, who say it makes them more secure. It's still something that uh, Canberra needs to pay attention to. And at the same time, the Japanese respondents, um, their views largely the same uh, didn't change all that noticeably from 57% saying it makes uh, Japan more secure in 2022 to 55% in 2023. So just a two point uh, decrease. But that nine point uh, decrease for Australia is uh, something that uh, should not be overlooked. And I'm keen to drill down into the Taiwan contingency questions. Where were we on those different Taiwan contingencies this year in the polling? Yeah. So last year we found that Americans, Australians, and Japanese response were more likely than not to support um, uh, sending troops to um, to Taiwan to defend Taiwan, um, and especially in regards to joining the U.S. in defending Taiwan. Um, this year we also saw similarly uh, more likely than not, except for in uh, Japan where we actually saw a noticeable decrease in terms of those willing to send troops to defend um, Taiwan. And um, I'm, I'm not sure um, what exactly changed in Japan. I, I, I wouldn't want to speak on that when we have one of the world's leading experts on Japan as our CEO. But I think um, it, is a, it is a noticeable jump in 2023 to 2022 in Japan when you had um, Thirty-five uh, percent of uh, Japanese respondents agreeing that they would send, they should send military forces to help the U.S. defend Taiwan, and, and decreasing to twenty-six percent, and that's nine nine point uh, decrease in Japan. Um, the Australian and American respondents uh, largely remained uh, very similar to last year and very much within the margin of error, but that that Japanese decrease is is noticeable. Yeah. And I want to turn now um, to look ahead to the 2024 election. Uh, This is in the title of the polling, but obviously the U.S. presidential election uh, is keenly followed here in Australia. And it's uh, front of mind because it does impact relationships around the world. Uh, So you surveyed Australian and Japanese publics on the 2024 U.S. presidential election and attitudes towards Donald Trump and Joe Biden 
Were there any surprising findings from the responses? Yeah, um, I would say that the findings weren't so surprising, but we did ask a new question this year, which I'm I'm keen to talk about. Um, I'll run through the findings that we saw. So we did ask um, Australians and Japanese if Biden wins a second term or if Trump wins a second term, would that be a good or a bad thing for your country? So when we asked Australian responses about Biden, we didn't see very much change. So um, about 22% said it would be a bad or very bad thing for Australia if Joe Biden was re-elected, uh, whereas 32% said it would be a good or very good thing if Biden was re-elected and about 33% said they uh, it was neither good nor bad. So we can see the plurality of responses is either neither good nor bad or good and very good. So um, not a very strong uh, sentiment compared to Trump, where uh, the bad, very bad category was 45%. So a very clear uh, plurality of Australians saying a second Trump term would be a bad or very bad thing for their country. But what's perhaps surprising about that finding is that in 2023, we found, yep, 45%. But uh, last year in 2022, I'm doing really quick maths on this. It was 50%. Uh, so that is a decrease of 5% of Australians who say that the election of Donald Trump would be a bad or very bad thing in 2023. And why I think that's so striking is because we need to consider the context of how far um, Trump has moved in the headlines since tw uh, September 2022 to August 2023. Uh, I think by August we would have had all four Trump indictments um, by the time that the survey was um, released. Uh, and, you know, and I probably also the first ever presidential mugshot in that time. And despite all of those developments, 5% um, less Australians think a Trump uh, presidency, a second Trump term would be a bad or very bad thing for their country, which I think would be expected to shift public opinion. So that's probably my most striking finding from that comparison in Australian terms. Yeah. And do you have any theories as to why um, that might've decreased given all the negative headlines that have come out um, featuring Trump this year? I think um, the, in, in public polling in general, people remember the past more fondly uh, than they do uh, than they feel about the present. Hmm. A lot of times um, in the present, they will um, speak glowingly of a past that didn't necessarily exist. Um, you, and this isn't unique to uh, former President Trump, uh, a lot of times people will say, oh, back in the good old days, um, when, you know, if you look at public opinion from those good old days, they were not uh, feeling necessarily like they were good <laughs> days. Um, so I think in general, a lot of times you'll find that um, politicians are are viewed um, in the past when they're no longer in office, they're viewed more favorably. And it, it should be noted as well that the, um, uh, in America at least, um, during the Trump administration and one way that, that Americans I'm seeing in, in the survey have a more favorable opinion of him out of office is that the economy was, was, um, less, um, less uncertain, you could say, mm -hmm. especially in the first three years of the Trump administration. And I think, um, a, a lot of folks, uh, did looked at their incomes then and looked at sort of the, the economic stability and said, oh, things were better back then. And, and they were in terms of economic certainty. There are less folks expecting a uh, recession, but- um, And it was life before a pandemic. Exactly. Yeah. And I don't think uh, no matter who you vote for in 2024, we are ever going to go back to <laughs> that life before a pandemic. We are post-pandemic now. And um, there's a lot of uncertainty 
regardless of uh, who's in office. So, I mean, you kind of talk about the good old days and now there's been a bit of distance from the Trump administration. So perhaps Australians are looking back on that administration more fondly than they were in 2022. But I feel like it's not necessarily viewed as the good old days. I think that in the last year, that kind of memory of some of the more disruptive effects of the Trump administration were, if not more present in the last year than they have been before. So I don't know if it's necessarily the good old days, but I wonder if it's apathy because also thinking about the American attitudes and where Americans have gone. I mean, Trump's been dominating headlines since he left office. And I wonder if rather than, and maybe we also saw this trend in 2016, it's people that took him literally didn't take him seriously and people that took him seriously didn't take him literally. And I wonder if we're having a somewhat similar effect now where it's maybe maybe apathy, maybe Australians aren't as concerned. We've seen there's been less interest uh, in the Trump headlines with each new indictment that follows, which would indicate a level of apathy. So there could certainly be a factor there. And also, I mean, yeah, as we've seen in the US, um, every headline we're seeing, it does not deter his supporters. And in many cases, it stirs them up and maybe that's having a similar effect with some audiences in Australia as well. So it could be apathy is growing. It could be sentiment is turning more positive. I think uh, another thing is that, as Jared was saying about um, post-pandemic life, I wonder if maybe there's more of a detachment from maybe some of the disruptions we saw in the Trump year. Trump years aren't actually due to Trump, they're due to other factors. And so it doesn't matter whether or not Trump is re-elected. There are other trends that will continue uh, despite who is re-elected in 2024, that Australians would consider to be bad or very bad for their country. I should note that our own polling back in 2019 found that 90% of coalition voters are more progressive than your median Trump voter. Mm. So um, sometimes we'll bring Americans out here and we'll talk about the two major political parties, um, coalition uh liberal nationals, as well as labor. And I try to make the point that it is nowhere close to where um, the Democratic and Republican parties are in terms of politics. The, the um, in many ways, coalition voters align a lot more with uh, American Democratic voters than uh, with Trump voters. So this isn't that there's some sort of uh, swelling um, love for Donald Trump <laughs> in, amongst the more conservative Australians. And last question before uh, I get you by the numbers stats, but in light of these findings, sentiment toward Trump and Biden, what context do you think this adds regarding Australia's relationship with the United States as we head into what looks to be a very intense election year? I think what we're seeing is, again, confirmation that Australia feels that we're better working with the United States than we are working without the United States. And I think the number that really brings this home to me is that, you know, we just spent a bit of time talking about the idea that a second Trump presidency is viewed in the Australian public as a bad or very bad thing. But despite that, um, it does, uh, the, we asked for the first time, uh, would, how much do you disagree or agree with the following? And the hypothetical was withdrawing from the United States alliance. Uh, if Donald Trump is re-elected or withdrawing from the United States alliance if Joe Biden is re-elected. And to both of those respondents, it didn't matter who was um, who was the variable. It didn't matter if it was Trump or Biden. The majority of Australians said that they disagree with withdrawing from the alliance. So they want to stay in the alliance irrespective of who is re-elected next year. And that is even considering that 45% of Australians who say a second Trump term would be a bad or a very bad thing. So in my mind, uh, looking forward to the next election, 
um, Australians are discerning enough to know that the relationship has um, deeper ties rather than just who is in the presidency. And we can see the security benefits of the United States Alliance. We saw other polling, which you can read for yourselves, about um, other non-security issues that the two countries could work on together. And it seems as if the alliance will continue to withdraw, uh, sorry, not withdraw, endure, uh, irrespective of who is in elected office. And I'll just add, I, I love that we're now, um, for two years now, we've been polling uh, Japanese um, public opinion as well on this and the difference between Australia and Japan on um, a hypothetical of withdrawing from the US, um, depending on who the president is, is pretty noticeable. Um, in Japan, less than 10% think that it's worth, worth withdrawing from the alliance if Joe Biden is reelected um, in 2024 and less than 15% if uh, Donald Trump uh, is reelected. Whereas in Australia, it's 37% of Australians say that um, they agree that they should withdraw from the alliance if Trump is reelected. And 22% say that it's worth withdrawing from the alliance if Biden is reelected. Again, both of those numbers are smaller in Australia than, than those who want to stay in the alliance. But still, the, the difference uh, in between Australia and Japan um, is it's pretty noticeable to me as, as our uh, CEO likes to say, uh, um, in the, the Japanese understand that Americans are just weird. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Jared and I can say that since we're American. Yeah, I exactly. I've been trying to say it and I keep getting told, don't say that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, and I, I, so as much as US politics um, and the soap opera of US politics, um, that just never ends. I think one, one takeaway I had from this is uh, it is entertaining, it is, headline grabbing, but it may not have the level of, um, of, of, of resonance and the level of anxiety amongst, um, American allies that it does in, um, amongst Americans themselves. Hmm. Wow. Well, that's very interesting additional context. I do feel like it paints a much fuller picture of the dynamics in the region at more of a three-dimensional picture. So, uh, just before we wrap up, I want to hear you by the numbers stat. And I know you've touched on a lot of numbers already. So what made the cut and for you in terms of what to highlight? Jared, how about you first? Sure. Um, so one thing that we talk about in this, when I said at the top was we want to ask people about strategic, strategic competition. And one thing that we wanted, we, I'm always trying to figure out more is how much do individuals um, in countries actually want to invest themselves? How much do they feel invested in strategic competition, being more competitive um, with China and and actually you know getting some skin in the game? And so one one question we asked for the first time this year was how much do you agree or disagree with introducing additional taxes to make your country's military more competitive with China's military? And um, it was. Pretty interesting um, because 30, the, the number that I want to flag is 36. That's the percentage of Australians who agree or strongly agree that um, Australia should introduce a tax. And that's compared to 47% who disagree. So the plurality, nearly half of Australians, disagree with introducing a new tax. And I, I found that um, particularly interesting because. That's a much smaller number than those who um, want to prevent uh, China from gaining access to Australian um, sensitive technologies, want to uh, not bolster uh, sort of economic linkages with China. Um, it's just it's only 
just over a third actually want are willing or interested in additional taxes to make um, Australia's military more competitive with China's military. Wow. And how about you, Victoria? So my number is 72%. So Jared was just talking about uh, paying a personal cost to become more competitive with China. And we saw that most Australians didn't want to pay a tax to become more militarily competitive. But last year, when we asked Australians if they would pay up to $500 more for a phone not made in China, it was 72% that agreed that they would pay up to $500 more for a phone not made in China. So when it comes to decoupling with China and competing in another way, this kind of implies that, you know, Australians are willing to put their money where their mouth is uh, in terms of paying more for a phone not made in China. But when it comes to explicit military competitiveness, there doesn't seem to be as much of an appetite. Yeah. They want a choice. They don't want to be forced to pay. They want a choice. That was my takeaway. Ah, I love it. That's great. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, and you can download a copy of their 2023 polling report one year from the 2024 U.S. presidential election, the stakes for Australia and the alliance on our website, ussc.edu.au now. And I'd like to point out a couple of other podcasts that may be of interest. Our USSC Live podcast series runs recordings from our major live events. Recent episodes include a breakdown of the GOP candidate presidential debate, which featured both Jared and Victoria, uh, and our readout from the White House National Security Council staff, Kirk Campbell, Edgar Kagan, and Mira Rapp-Hooper. You can also check out our technology and security podcast, TS, run by the inaugural director of emerging technology, Dr. Mia Hammond-Airy. You can find these on our website, ussc.edu.au, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jared and Victoria, thank you so much. It's been lovely talking to you today. Thanks, Mario. Thank you.